Hello to everybody who's trying to pit me against Anna Sale. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. Chris Gethard here. We have an episode coming up today that I am I, delighted by and tickled by and creates uh, an outright theme on the show. It revisits an old theme from a new angle in a way that is really quite funny and interesting. And I think you'll like it. Before we get into that, do you want to say to anybody who came out to my shows in Buffalo and Detroit, thanks for coming. It's awful nice of you. Thanks for checking it out. And I leave uh, my big tour starts uh, over the weekend. So if you're in Woodstock, Asbury Park, Baltimore, Richmond, there's still tickets left for uh, some of those shows. They're selling out. I think the Late Show in Chicago still has a couple tickets as well. And thanks to everybody for supporting me, genuinely. Just straight up, thanks. It's really nice of you. A few weeks back, months back at this point, we heard from a caller, really uh, sort of terrifying call. She had been attacked by a rabid raccoon. And it was pretty gripping and grim stuff. And um, I'll tell you, we always try to represent different perspectives and points of view on this show. I've always had a point of pride in that. I feel like there's maybe a lot of perspectives where the first time many of us get to hear people express them in their own words is on this show. I'm proud of that. And we have someone who's very pro-raccoon calling in to offer the other side of the human raccoon experience. This is someone who... I don't know what else to say. I know I'm giggling, but it's just someone who really likes raccoons. This is a call from someone who really gets along with raccoons. That's, we always try to provide a clear forum and counterpoint for, uh, for any dissenting opinions. And we heard from someone who had a bad experience with raccoons. <laughs> and now we're going to hear from somebody who has good experiences with raccoons, making this perhaps one of the most raccoon-heavy podcasts in the world. We also get into some philosophical stuff. We hear a lot about New York City, some of the myths about New York City, the intimidation of moving here. And we hear the caller has some specific views about sexual expression that uh, are kind of a, a fascinating tangent. Overall, though, it's, uh, this is the person who likes raccoons. That's how I remember this one. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Oh, oh my gosh, this is Chris. It's just that easy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Nice talking. Now, I'm, I'm very fascinated because you said it's, you say, oh, it's just that easy, which makes everybody listening feel like you had an easy time. But my understanding is that you've left three voicemails. Which, yes, yes, I have. But I fully expected to talk to another human being who said, hold on, I'll get Chris for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, yeah, when you leave a voicemail, I the phone rings and then I'm just here. And That's I, great. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for leaving yes. the voicemails. I know um, Jar- Jared has said he's excited for you and I to link up. I know nothing about what you said. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, because good. I got some good stuff. Um, I've been dying to talk to you um, ever since I really listened to the first episode. Um, I'm one of the listeners that found you via This American Life. Um, Thank you so, so much. And yeah, and I heard about the Ron Paul episode, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's the one they featured. And my husband was also delivered by Ron Paul. Really? Yeah. Well, look at that. Your husband is another one of Ron Paul's babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so immediately I was like, oh, this is so neat. You know, I have something in common with this. And I listen to every podcast every now and then. Just, just absolutely love it because I have the ability to, you know, to listen sometimes at work while I do some menial tasks. And I just uh, I just fell in love with, with the podcast and, and, and then, of course, you know, follow you as well. Um, so, so thank you for putting it out there. It's awesome. Um, but the real reason I needed to leave a voicemail this last time, well, first of all, I don't do any social media. So that was the only way to get a hold of you. Or I would have tried definitely every, you know, to listen to your tweeting. Is that what they call it? Because I don't know anything about that. But um, I listened to the episode about the rabid raccoon. Uh-huh. And 
I have a different perspective. I own a pet raccoon. Come on. He is my baby. He is my baby. Come on. You own a raccoon? Come on. You can't. Yes. Really? They're, they're wild animals. I know. I've actually owned two. Um, this is my second. Yeah. And so I thought, I thought, well, give your listeners a different perspective. But of course, I was so grateful for all the information in the rabid raccoon episode because now I know what sounds to look for, you know, if mine <laughs> gets sick. <laughs> now, I got a couple questions. One, is it legal to own a raccoon? In some states, it is. Currently, where I am, it is not. So, so you, I am doing something illegal. You have an illegal raccoon. Yes. But the other option was to let it die, and that just felt wrong, too. So you rescued it. Yes. I would never just go pick one out of the wild. Um, it's kind of a cool story. It, was, it started last year in May because babies are born around April-May time frame. And um, my husband, uh, where he works, he works on large equipment, and they uh, started up some equipment, and a mama raccoon with all her babies comes running out of the exhaust pipe. You know, because she had made her little home in there. Mm -hmm. And she drops one of the babies, and he falls into some grating, you know, that they have to walk over on this big piece of machinery. And um, my husband's just a sucker for animals. He just has a huge heart for them. And he couldn't bear that little animal to die down there, so he found a way, rigged a way to get him out of that grating. And then they, they put it nearby for the next five hours, hoping the mom would come back for it. And she didn't, and he knew that that little tiny thing would be, you know, like the palm size of the palm of your hand, you know, and he knew that it would just be albate by morning. So, um, so he brought it home to us, and I was at first like, you, you are a crazy man. What are we going to do with this thing? <laughs> you know, he says, I don't know. I just thought y'all might want to see one, you know, and then we'll, well, you know, we'll do something with it. I don't know, find somebody who can take it, and oh, then I fell in love, and uh, and then we had to name it, of course, and and then. Uh, then he became the only animal we have ever owned that preferred me. I mean, it just, he just did. Um, probably because I fed it the most with a bottle. Now, what did you name the raccoon? We named him Hamilton. And you'll love this because you're from New York. Um, at the time, my youngest daughter could not get enough of Hamilton. If we were in the car, that's what we were listening to. Uh -huh. That Broadway play was her favorite thing. And literally the week that this raccoon came into our lives, we had just gone to see Hamilton on its tour in, in, in our closest big city. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, so it, it just made sense that we named him Hamilton. And of course, he went by Hammy most of the time. And so that was in May, and um, by September we moved to a to a whole new a whole new town about thirty minutes away, and a new bigger house, a new area, and um, and and I don't cage them by any means. Hammy was free to live outside under our house once he was big enough, and he came in at night, took a bottle, played with us, and went back outside. Um, some nights I fell asleep with him in my bed. And, what? And, um, yes. Oh, yes. You sleep with a <laughs> raccoon in your bed? He, st uh, he sleeps between you and your husband? My husband didn't like it because he would fall asleep with me sometime around 9 or 10 at night. You know, I'd lay down with him and, and, and cuddle him and he'd crash. And somewhere around 1 or 2 in the morning, he wanted to play. I mean, my friends kept telling me, oh, sorry, I gave my name. We'll bleep have to it. Beat that. And my friends kept telling me, you're trying to make a nocturnal animal not nocturnal. And I said, I know, but it's worth it. I'm going to keep giving it a try. And somewhere around one or two in the morning, he was, you know, waking us up wanting to play. And we would put him outside for the rest of the evening, you know, till, till we got up in the morning. And uh, he was great, though. And I really don't know what would have happened with him. I really don't know if he just got horny or if he got really scared about the move but around september time frame he disappeared and never came back what yeah that was last year last may to september hamilton just disappeared he just disappeared he did i mean i'm pretty sure he found girls you think he link <laughs> linked back up with other raccoons oh i'm sure i mean that's i nice. have to believe that i don't want to believe he's dead that's nice yeah yeah that's like so, uh, a movie. That's like it, there's movies right? like that, right? Where animals um, are with humans and then they need to go be free. I feel like that's a trope. It's the best possible outcome. It really is, and it was probably good for me too because people who I've talked to who've raised them before too said after a couple of years they do get mean. I mean, you can't really take the wild out of them. They, you know, they just stop. They stop being nice according to them, and 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 they they just kind of don't want you anymore. You know, they kind of just kind of wing themselves. So. This year, fast forward, here it is. I'm heartbroken because 
you know, my raccoon is gone. In the meantime, my family is trying to make me feel better. You know, they bought me a raccoon necklace. Um, my girls bought me a, a, a picture from Hobby Lobby of a family of four raccoons, since we're a family of four, <laughs> and it hangs in our den. <laughs> and and uh, and I'm just thinking, you know, that was a great little sell of the one animal that actually preferred me in the family, and because uh, because he was he was sweet to me, but he was he was a tyrant to to the rest of the family. You know, he wanted to play and you know attack my daughter's buns on the top of their heads and that kind of thing. And you were okay with that. You had a, cu- a raccoon who cuddled you but would attack your daughter's heads, and that was a fair trade for you. Well, I knew it wasn't rabbit. I mean, I knew that. So, so would he just, so, like, wait on the steps for them to walk by and launch himself at their heads? Oh, gosh, no, no. It was when they're sitting on the couch, and he would run across the top of the couch. Um, like, it was, it, was, it was a playground, you know. So, wait. Obviously a playground. I just want to really just, in my head, you've got two daughters? Okay. you got two daughters? You said family yes. four? So your two yeah. daughters, your two beautiful daughters sitting on the couch. They've been yes. at school. They've done their homework so that it's like, okay, you can watch some TV. You ate <laughs> yeah. your dinner. You did the dishes, done your homework. <laughs> so they get to turn on Netflix and they're sitting there like regular kids. And then a raccoon sprints out, leaps onto the back of the couch and starts, uh, what, clawing or biting at the, the hair uh, buns on top of their <laughs> beautiful little heads? He would kind of... um you know, wrap his arms and legs around their head and put the bun in his mouth and kind of shake it like it was a, you know, like a, like a, like prey, I guess. <laughs> so he would approach them predator style. Uh, well, you knew he was coming. There was no, there was no creep to it, you know. Uh, <laughs> and would your daughters giggle because that was their pet Hammy the raccoon or would they be screaming in terror that a raccoon was attacking their head? Yeah, I mean, the more they squealed, the happier he was, you know, so if you could learn to just grab him and put him on your lap, you know, and, and give him a toy or something to distract him, it would have been fine. But my youngest daughter was very good at squealing, you know, every time, like it tickled. And, and you know, that would make him want to do it more. And we would have to usually go rescue her from him. <laughs> and you, you, you would feed him with a bottle and he had toys. Oh, he loved the bottle. Hammy would, would lay on his back. Um, and take a bottle and hold it himself. So I, eventually I never had to hold it. He just, you know, because they have thumbs. That's what makes them amazing pets. They have thumbs. And, and so he would hold his own bottle in my lap and he would take it and it was, you know, look at y'all sweet, like, like an actual baby. It was just, and it didn't matter how big he got. He always loved his bottle. And was um, it milk? Was it milk in the bottle? Yes, yes. And, and I realize now it really gives him the runs. It was not the right thing to feed him, but it's what he liked. And his other favorite thing was grapes and lunch meat and cheese he and, and cat food. Grapes? Yes, loved grapes. Oh, I love grapes. What kind of cheese? Did he yes. have ty- types of cheese he liked better than other types of cheese? Um, the shredded Mexican blend. It's uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. good. Now you'd give him milk and the milk would give him diarrhea and he would sleep in your bed with you. Yeah, but he eventually, I mean, I swear he was trained to a puppy pad. He would. He could tra- He could focus on the puppy mm-hmm. bed. So he'd just yep. go and he'd do his diarrhea on that, and then he'd get back in bed when he was done. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know when it happened overnight while I slept. Oh, my goodness. Now, we Googled Hobby Lobby raccoons, something mm-hmm. along those lines. I don't know exactly what mm-hmm. phrase Jared used. Is it a picture where there's a dad raccoon wearing uh, glasses yes. and then a boy raccoon with a bow tie? So apparently Harry Nelson, if anyone out there listening wants to search for this, Harry Nelson found it very quickly (laughs) by Googling the words Hobby Lobby Raccoon Family. Yes. Hobby Lobby Raccoon Family. (laughs) And you can find, it comes up as Raccoon Wood Wall. Oh, no, it's something different. Let's see. (laughs) You can find it. You can find it. It glass. Yes. Yes, it's right there on the image search. The dad has red glasses, the mom has flowers in her hair, the son has a bow tie, daughter also yes. has flowers in her hair. Now, of course, my daughters, you know, I have two daughters, and so they're so sweet. They went the effort, they went to the other section of Hobby Lobby, and they got some more flowers that resembled the mommy, mm-hmm. you know, flowers, and they stuck those on top of the, the, the little raccoon with the bow tie, so it became a girl. So they converted it. They, co- they converted the boy yes. to a girl for my Christmas. This my Christmas Hobby Lobby gift. raccoon uh, image does sort of play to the traditional gender roles that yes it does and so they adjusted that they adjusted that yeah they mm-hmm. did 
Mm-hmm. They went. They went the long way. I mean, they they knew they knew what I would just love for Christmas. They 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 did well. That was one of my favorites. So I'll never. It's right over our TV every single night. Wow. I look at. Now, and so. Oh yeah. So that was Hammy though. That was Hammy this year. This May. That wasn't even the know, current I, raccoon. That wasn't the most that's recent. Not the current. Right. Okay. How'd you get another raccoon? So, um, my coworkers, of course, got to hear about two videos, watch me, you know, go nuts over Hammy all the time. Mm-hmm. That one year later, um, my coworker's husband uh, happened to be at a construction site, and in a Kalichi parking lot, there was a baby raccoon under someone's vehicle. Mm-hmm. And um, this one had matted eyes with green goose poop and just, you know, was really in bad shape. And, and she says, you know, her husband knew my story, so, you know, uh, she got the call and they said, do you want it? I said, of course I do, please. And so I've had this one, his name is Jack, and I've had him since, since May, and I still have him now. So and, uh, he was a baby as well when you found him? Oh, yes, definitely. I would never go, you know, steal one, but it had nobody. I mean, it was in a very hot Kalichi parking lot underneath mm-hmm. someone's vehicle. It was going to get run over. And, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't know much about wildlife, except, you know, Mama probably saw it was sick, you know, or, you know, or couldn't see, you know, couldn't take care of itself very well. Mm-hmm. And so we, we worked really hard on getting those. It took a few days to get his eyes open, you know, getting all the goop out. And uh, oh, he's, been, he's been healthy and good ever since. So you did. You nursed and, him back uh, to health. Yes. And, and again, he loves me more than anybody else. This one even more so. I, I can't walk out of the room without him following me. Um, if I take a bath, he is on the side of the tub, you know. You bathe. With me. You bathe <laughs> with a wild animal perched on the side of the tub. Yes. <laughs> but he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't, I forget he's wild. He's, he's been my sweet little baby since day one. I was up at 4.30 every morning watching the Facts of Life, giving him a bottle before I got ready for work. And we bonded. <laughs> if you drop the soap and it slips out of the tub, does he run over with his little thumbs and grab it and hand it back to you? No. Uh, our soap has permanent claw holes in it because when we're not in the tub, he loves to play in there and he'll get the soap down. Yes. Your soap has claw holes in it from the wild <laughs> animals that have overrun your house willingly. When you say it like that, it makes me seem really, really nasty. But No, but you're the I best. Know. He's like family. <laughs> you're the best. You have the best energy. So one of our prior callers talked about living her actual nightmare where she was attacked by a raccoon. Yeah. And you heard it and said... Well, I have to talk about the dream that I'm living, which is that (laughs) raccoons as a species have decided that I am their friend. Yes, yes. And I don't have any, I I don't, believe me, I'm not like delusional in the fact that he's going to be this way forever. I realize he's wild, but I have to be cautious that I have to, you know, um, uh, watch for signs of, of rabies, of course, because I know that would change his demeanor drastically. But currently, he's he's timid. He's scared of loud sounds. He's you know he's um, he likes to play. Don't get me wrong. My husband is his playmate, and they wrestle all night long. They and and he'll you know and he'll get to where he's you know he's biting hard, but he never draws blood. <laughs> <laughs> now, does and then he... my husband can, you know, get firm with him and, you know, he'll stop. And then t- I literally kid you not, if my husband gets firm with him, like pops him on the nose or pulls, you know, you're getting too hard, that's too rough. He'll literally walk over to me and just kind of claw my little calf and, you know, get my attention like he's like he's paddling on dad. Now, it's the coolest thing ever. And does Jack go outside as well? Yes, absolutely. I've never caged him. He um, So when we leave the house at six in the morning, we put him outside with some food. And when we come home in the evening, um, it depends which tree he might be in, but he'll be way high up in a tree and we'll call his name and he'll come down. And uh, lately he's been on the roof and he can jump off the roof and onto our covered back porch, which is a corrugated kind of you know top. And uh, it's just tall enough for us to reach him and he'll jump into our arms from the roof. So he goes in, on adventures during this. So he'll go and do raccoon things. He'll climb trees. Mm-hmm. And does he ever like tip over a garbage can or like try to go he down likes, to a drainage pipe likes, or something? Yeah, you're right. He has. Um, if we have him, if we're doing yard work in the front yard, um, he'll he'll sometimes disappear into the culvert that runs underneath the street. Um, and, you know, when he comes back. Uh, there's no telling what he does all day. Um, he he uh, he'll he'll like to get in our trash inside the house if we let him 
um, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll be interested in the smells or whatever's in there, but you know, we can, you know, like, a, like, a, like when you're training a puppy, you know, you kind of like, no, that's a no. And you take him off and he goes and gets distracted with something else. Um, he's got plenty to eat. And this one is totally different than Hammy though. He doesn't like grapes. Go figure. Wow. Um, Controversial. He likes, I know. He likes, he likes, um, dehydrated green beans, like green bean chips. Loves them. What are- Can't get enough. And, and Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch is his all-time face. He eats Captain Crunch, like with his hands mm-hmm. or a spoon from a bowl? Because you seem like no, you might be—you seem like you might have the magical <laughs> ability to train a raccoon to sit upright and eat cereal with a spoon. Oh, that would be the dream. If I could be a stay-home raccoon mom, I would have him doing all sorts of things. I'm sure, but I'm not with him much during the day, just at night and on the weekends. But yeah, he uses his hands and grabs that uh, Captain Crunch. He really likes it if you stick some in a shoe, you know, so he can dig it out of there. He eats them out of a shoe? Mm-hmm. Everything about this call has been weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Every specific. No, do not apologize. It's by far one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. But every detail you slip in astounds me more than less. So he takes his Captain Crunch. He runs over. He hoards them in a shoe. And then he just returns to the shoe and eats them one by one throughout the day. No, I typically put him in the shoe and let him know that's where it is. Because Got it. I know if he of has course. to dig in the shoe, he'll stick around a little bit longer and really enjoy eating it. Got and then it. I can go in the other room and maybe fold some clothes without him running yes. to my feet. Because he goes everywhere I go. That was very dumb of me. Of course, I should have assumed that you were the one <laughs> filling a shoe with Captain Crunch. That was my bad. Sorry about that. Now, I get creative. Have you ever thought about buying him a bow tie like the Hobby Lobby picture? <laughs> <laughs> it's so tempting. I, he does have a T-shirt. He does have a T-shirt. No, what? And the best part is, is I have a, a picture of Hammy in the T-shirt and Jack in the T-shirt. You put and a T-shirt. He wears a T-shirt. Yes, he doesn't like it. I mean, he, you know, it makes him it makes him feel weird. He has a hard time walking, but we post for pictures in it. He has a T-shirt with an image of himself and the other raccoon that once slept in your <laughs> no. bed. No, I have a picture of Hammy wearing that shirt and Jack wearing that shirt. Got and it's it. from Petco. It's a dog shirt. It's it's red stripes and it says handsome dude on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. And you know what you wanna know why we named him Jack? Yes. Let's pause the show, everybody. What a cliffhanger. Stick around, and we'll all find out together why the new raccoon is named Jack. Check these things out. It really helps the show when you uh, when you listen to these ads. Use the promo codes. We'll be right back. Thanks to everybody who advertises on the show. Now, the stunning conclusion. Why is the raccoon named Jack? And you, know what? you want to know why we named him Jack? Yes. Okay. So... A year goes by, my daughter is not as into Hamilton anymore as she is into Newsies. Newsies, a throwback. Yes. Or did they redo Newsies since my youth? I have no idea. Uh, the closest I could do was take her to a community theater production of Newsies not too long ago, and they did a great job, too. I can't believe they did the Broadway choreography. Wow. But, All right, good for them. Yeah. She, um, but she's loving the Newsies. Um, and so... Jack Kelly is, of course, the main character, and so she comes up with Jack because that's her new favorite. And I thought, yeah, we don't. You know, I like Hamilton. I'm not sure if I'm all into newsies, and you know, this is going to be my pet. So then I got to thinking, okay, I have a favorite Jack. My favorite Jack is uh, Jack Pearson from This Is Us, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome character. I've heard that show's and, great. I got to watch that show. <laughs> oh, it'll get you. And then my oldest daughter's favorite Jack is Jack Dawson from Titanic. Uh-huh. So that works. Uh-huh. And my husband's favorite Jack, of course, is Jack Tripper. Three's company. <laughs> <laughs> but we figured it works. Oh, this call is insane <laughs> in the best possible way. Now you don't have Instagram. You understand that if you did, you'd have you your raccoon would be world famous. Uh, I'm not the only one doing this. My daughters have definitely proven that to me because they go out there and find all the cutest raccoon videos and show me on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of people doing this. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm all that special, but, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, 
I have a, I have a I loathe social media, like loathe it. Like that's another thing I'd love to talk to you about because I know I'm the minority, but I hate it with a passion. I don't even know if you're the minority. I will tell you that. Are you are you out are you outside right now? I am walking through a cemetery. Is there a lot of, of bad noise? Of course you are. Of course you are. Yes, there's a number of it's there's a number of uh, ghosts and spirits that we can hear haunting you. As a, you, no, there's a bit of wind, and Jared and Harry have a. Uh, maybe you could like crouch behind a tombstone or something like that. And stop no the problem. Wind. I'll go sit. In, I'll go sit in my car. I talk better while I walk, but I'm happy to sit in my car. I don't want the sound to be bad at all. Yeah, Jared typed a while ago. Can can she go somewhere less windy? And then it was just typed in. Even Harry said it needs to stop. Um, it okay. hasn't bothered me though. The I, I don't know why Jared and Harry are in such a foul mood right now. But it I ha- am so so impressed by these producers. I mean, the, uh, how they understand the how they. Thank you guys for making it sound so amazing through my headphones. I mean, seriously, that's it's, a huge feat. It is. I tell you what. They, uh, and that's, I think this is fair to say, I'm not, Harry, you have more legit, that's, Jared is a wizard. Jared is an absolute wizard. And I'll tell you what, just to give, since it came up, to give Jared uh, real props, I just did a live taping out in Washington State and Jared couldn't come with me and I was very nervous about that. Uh. And he, gave, we hired a local guy named Sean Fox. He was really, really awesome, really good. That sound check took two hours to figure out how to run our system. And Jared will walk into these venues and it takes like 10 minutes. And that's no <laughs> slam on anyone else. It's just that Jared is like an actual wizard with this show. And uh, it, the show would not be what it is without him. And Harry, of course, as well. But nobody's quite sure what Harry does. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever they're doing, keep doing it. It's working. Now, since we talked about Jared anyway, he told me, because we usually with the voicemail calls, we don't even mention that they were voicemails because it's just a little more organic. And the listeners, um, I think, uh, you know, they don't, a lot of times don't even realize it's just the same experience either way. But Jared mm-hmm. did say that one of your voicemails charmed him to a degree that he's hoping we can play it right now. I have not heard this before. He said oh. there's something about it he likes and he was hoping to play it. Is that okay with you? I am an open book. He Go just said, it. I don't know if charm's the right word, but okay. He's going to, something about this he wanted me to hear while you okay. were on the line. Hi, Chris. I really need to talk to you. I really do. I really think that uh, I have an interesting story. Number one, you have to call me because I refuse to participate in social media. And we can talk about that. See, but I don't know when you're tweeting or whatever it is that's called because I'm not on social media. Um, I also want to talk to you because I think you would have a really good, unbiased view of the way I have some hangups about society and sex. I mean, I got some real hangups here. People think I'm I'm weird, but uh, I want to talk to you about it and see what you think. Um, if I if I can't talk to you about it, I might I might just call Anna Sale at Death, Sex, and Money and see if she'll talk to me because. Um, <laughs> I heard you and your wife on that show from a while back. Oh, my God. It's so cool to hear how far you guys have come. Anyway, I like you a lot. I prefer your show. I also want to talk about New York. I took my family there for vacation last summer, and now i got a kid who wants to live there forever. So I need to hear what that's like and how I can help her get there. So we got a lot to talk about, Chris. Please call me. So you're going to go ahead. You're going to... You're going you're gonna to threaten me that if I don't get the scoop on this one, you're going to go to old Anna Sale. God, I said that. Playing mind oh. games. You're playing some mind no. games. <laughs> My obsession over sex and society has somewhat subsided since then, but also, <laughs> but obviously, I was very passionate at the time. <laughs> yeah, what does that even mean? You are, you are something else. Do you get this a lot? Do people know day to day that you're full of, of all this, spit and vinegar? Yeah, I get told quite often I need to slow down and chill out. No, you do not. Don't listen to anybody who says that. (laughs) Lead the charge. You're fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, but but yes, I'm happy to go there. I I definitely think because you have this, um, well, I'll, I'll preface it with this. I was such an avid listener of your podcast for so long, and then I felt like there for a while... Um, I really could not handle some of the callers. Like, I couldn't finish them, you know what I mean? Because their view of casual sex is so open. Okay. And it made a, you know, it makes me literally nauseous when I think about that. Um, But, of course, 
everything that we feel or think is a product of our experience. So um, my experience is I've been monogamous my whole life, married to my high school sweetheart since the age of 14, and um, and it took a dark turn, and now it's come around, and uh, there was infidelity, there was alcoholism, there was so much wrong with our marriage, and we are 12 steppers who have completely found a new way of living, and it's just so exciting and so good, but I still watch the world... Um, Put it this way, I watch the world debating who everybody gets to love, right? But in my mind, it's not so much who you're loving that's the problem, but how many. Does that make sense? That causes more problems. I'm going to be honest with you. No, you have to explain. I do. <laughs> okay, good. It, it doesn't make sense to me yet. <laughs> you're saying that the problem with the world is not who people are loving, but how many people. So the promiscuity. You don't have people yes. are allowed in your mind. You're not closed-minded. People can love who they want to love, yes. as, as long as they're trying to focus in on one person at a, at a time, yeah. or, or just in general. For, for me, for my experience, and what I want for my daughters, and it's so hard for them to see my point of view with the world the way it is. Is that I'm not trying to put down some religious rule on anybody. I'm just saying that that monogamy um, makes you feel cherished and sacred, and um, uh, you can have this amazing relationship with one person, um, and, and sex makes it 10 million times better. But um, it's it's the heartbreak comes whenever people, you know what I mean, jump into it too quickly, into the physical. They call it love, you know, and then it breaks their hearts. And then before you know it, they're just giving it away so often that it just becomes, you know, meaningless. I don't know. I would love to ask you. You are married now with child. I'm so excited you had a kid. And Thank you. So, so, you know, don't, I mean, aren't you, wouldn't it be cool if it was only ever her? I mean, listen, of course I'm monogamous, monogamous with my wife. We also got married when I was 34, 35. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I lived, I lived many lives before that. I don't, I don't think I, I don't think my wife want, would, I don't think I need to go through my entire sexual history, but I've had long monogamous, I've had long monogamous relationships before her. I've also had some stretches where I was a little bit of a man about town. And if we're going to talk about your daughter moving to New York City, I was, I will also tell you right away, the culture of New York City does not jibe so well with your dedication uh, to meet someone when you're 14 and stick with them forever. That's not a very New York City attitude. Yeah. Like, I got to wrap my head around it and not let it get to me because it is the way the world is. I see more, the same thing goes with the porn problem in the country. You know, so many find it acceptable, but I have encountered women who are destroyed by it when they're with their husbands. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, And so my perspective just becomes, can we just slow down a little bit? Well, I think there's something beautiful about that. I also think, and I get the sense too, that I feel, I guess I would just feel like everybody walks their own path and that whatever path you have to walk to wind up with a healthy life and a healthy perspective on relationships and sex is the one that you should walk with. I don't disagree that, um, because I, I don't want to make you nauseous by any means. I don't want to make you nauseous <laughs> at all. But I will say that I I, I certainly have uh, thought about how my dad's generation, like if they found a Playboy, that was a huge deal. Yeah. And the types of things that I grew up seeing in the early days of the internet were beyond that. And the things that any kid, any curious kid can access now are... Are you can I mean you can you can go down rabbit holes to stuff that's of the most extreme and be ex- being experiencing that when you're just figuring out what sexuality is and certainly I can see how my guess would be that there are are psychiatric professionals who who spend a lot of their you know who can make their specialty sorting that out for people I would have to imagine so I don't disagree on that yeah yeah and and as a mother of two girls it, you know it, it um I, I I can't hold on to hope that they're going to marry a man who's not, you know, spent many hours looking at other naked women. That's just the truth of today. And, uh, and it makes me sad. That's all. 
Well, I think if the guys only looked at naked women, then they're probably that's probably very close to uh, that's probably one of the healthier ones. I, I worry, I worry, uh, I I think a lot about how there there's pornography out there that when you yeah. are when you are older and you come to learn what sex actually is and the experience of it, a lot of the representations of it are just are not real. They're just they're just they it's like. It's people having sex that that is like it. It's not what your average relationship sex looks and feels like, and that that is worrisome. That people sort of will treat each other in this cartoonish way or objectify each other with that being what they think it's supposed to be, and uh, that's that is a thing I worry about. But I will say that I I again I'm not trying to make you nauseous, but to me. I was just to get, I don't think I've talked about this on the show. I was in a relationship for most of my 20s into my 30s with the same person and it didn't work out. And that was very oh, he, difficult. And I hope that she, that she was teaching you something and that the two of you guys felt connected, you know, physically and emotionally, even during the time you were together, you know, as opposed to spending all that time just chasing somebody Oh, a, a hookup, is that right? Is that what they call yes, that? that's what they call it, a hookup. Yes, that is the terminology <laughs> these days. But I will say that there were stretches where I was trying to I was trying to make this relationship work for the sake of the fact that we were in it for so long and we should stick with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that was fair to her or me. I think there were times in that relationship where I had real concerns or hurt feelings that I wasn't expressing because I felt like it was so important to make it work. And at the end of the day, it wasn't. And I'll also tell you this, coming out of that relationship, there was a stretch of my life where uh, I did explore things on a more casual basis. And I think that that ultimately has made my relationship with my wife stronger because I think I had to be out there in the world and experience the world to kind of come away from some of the confusion and hurt coming out of that relationship falling apart to really figure out who I was and what I wanted. And for some people, that's going to be the path they walk. I can relate to that some because I've often wished that that I had had some years of promiscuity so that I could relate to other people. Right? Really? Because I come across as judgmental just because that's not my experience. And of course, I stuck through it. I mean, stuck through some crap. Really? Um, and learned so much about myself and how crappy I was to live with. And I'm so grateful that it was my, it was my vows and my determination being that this is going to work <laughs> because I would have missed out on what we have today. Um, right. It, it's, it's beautiful. You know, but of course you, it took a huge village of people to get us there. You wouldn't that. have wound up with this life where there's um, creatures from the forest rampaging through your house. <laughs> have a cool household, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. So if I if I may be so bold, since you brought it up, the sense I'm getting just from your philosophy on life is when you mentioned some infidelity, it's it I do not get the sense that that's a road you went down. I might be wrong, but Oh, no, no, you're right, right. I was the I was the um, I was the betrayed. Um I'm very but, sorry. But that comes that that comes with alcoholism. It's mm-hmm. you know it's they're they're kind of a pair, you know. I mean, when people become impaired, they <laughs> they do things they regret. Um, oh, but my husband's my hero. I mean, I am madly in love with him. Are you like madly in love with your wife? You oh, know what I'm talking about. She's the best. <gasps> she's the best. Oh, I tell her every and, day, and we have fights and we have arguments just like anybody else. But every day when I wake up and when I go to bed, I'm aware that I have an incredibly lucky life. And I also yeah. know that my wife, I, I also know that my wife has my back harder than yeah. anyone's ever had my back. And she, yeah. she would, she would put her fist through somebody if they hurt me. I know, right? That's a good feeling to know that you have someone like that. And, yeah. and of course it, it looks dim. It looks very dreary for me for many years, you know, about the, you know, about 10 years into marriage, you know what I mean? It was, you know, it was like, man, I'm looking at divorce. It's my only option. And, um, uh, but someone encouraged me to go to Al-Anon. Have you ever heard of Al-Anon? Al-Anon, yeah. I, um, my understanding is that that is a support group, not for people who suffer from alcoholism, but who have loved one loved ones in their lives who do to help kind of 
navigate some of the wreckage that that can leave behind in your exactly. life. And they were such a, a godsend. And uh, they, you know, they told me, why don't you just, you know, give it a year, see how you feel then, you know? And uh, why don't you try, you know, working these 12 steps we're talking about in this meeting and get you a sponsor. And, and whenever you get frustrated with him, why don't you call her instead of taking it out on him? And, and let's just see if we can reframe this whole situation for you. Because, you know, we read before every meeting that, you know, our thinking becomes distorted by trying to force solutions. And we become irritable and unreasonable, you know? Um, uh, we, we become real bitches, <laughs> you know? whether we're moms with an addict son or daughter or whether we're, you know, spouses or, you know, you name it. And, um, and, and it makes it really hard for someone who's being guilted, you know, and, and chastised on a daily basis to stop what they cannot stop on their own. Literally willpower has nothing to do with it or else there'd be no such word as addiction, right? Um, if willpower worked. Um, but, but it doesn't. And so once I realized that my husband was suffering from a mental illness with a spiritual remedy, um, I took my hands off and let nature take its course, you know, let things happen as they played out. And without giving up, you know, nine years later, we are starting to feel the, oh, the, the unbelievable relief of our ugly story being a testimony to other people. We go speak at a rehab, you know, twice a month. And, uh, and our story is no longer something we're ashamed of. It's something that we use, you know, to, to make other people feel hopeful. And uh, it's, it, it's been the best journey, but it took a long time to get here, you know. And, and, and I guess I just worry that um, um, our, our casual view of sex and marriage and, you know, all that is, is going to cause people to miss out on some really good things when you work things through with, with the one you love. Now, I want to ask a question. I feel like if you are in a relationship where the person you're in it with has a situation involving infidelity, that a lot of people's concern might be, am I, gonna, am I ever going to be able to really forget that that happened? Am I going to feel disrespected deep down on some level? And it sounds like you aren't hanging on to that. You've said your husband is your hero. Let me go ahead and pause there because, I, I, you know, I bet there's a lot of people out there who have dealt with something similar going, yeah, how did she move on? That's hard. That's difficult. We're going to hear how she pulled it off. We'll be right back. Thanks again to everybody who advertises on this show and helps us bring it to the world. Now let's finish off this conversation. Am I gonna? Am I ever gonna be able to really forget that that happened? Am I gonna feel disrespected deep down on some level? And it sounds like you aren't hanging on to that. You said your husband is your hero. Yeah, I've done the. Uh, uh, I've done the research. There's some scientific backup to it too. I mean, what I was suffering from after finding out, you know, um, you know, full disclosure of everything was, you know, really PTSD. We're talking, you know a song could trigger my hands to shake for the next two hours and my heart to race. And, you know, and, and, and just, I was just in, just in a terrible place and, and, you know, and, and thought therapy as well. Um, I've used EMDR, like you've heard, like mm-hmm. you discussed on your podcast, which was wonderful to get those, those episodes. Once they were, once they were no longer a threat, once he had re- removed his shame and changed his you know, behavior and his, you know, Oh my God, he became so attentive to me. And, and once that changed, I had no reason to distrust. I had no reason to, to stay this way. So I had to go seek my own help. And EMDR was very helpful as well as my 12 step support group. They were the most helpful. But then, um, I realized too, that it takes about a good two years, you know, to get over something traumatizing. And so you've got to wait, you know, it's okay to wait. And uh, I trusted these people who told me that and, um, and what they have told me has, has been true. Um, and, and I'm feeling much better. And, and my husband, you know, he had to go get his own recovery with men, with other men. He had to get accountable to other men who, um, showed him how to, to, to do the next right thing, you know, and just be willing. And, uh, I think for the first, uh, for the first year after, um, after, you know, finding out and deciding we're going to recover from this, um, he sent me a love song by YouTube link you know, over text message every single day for 
I think I have 265 songs written down that he sent me. Um, it was like clockwork, like clockwork. He never forgot me every day. You know what I mean? And he was thinking about me, and this is the song that made him think about me that day. It was. It just did wonders to make me go, man, he's not giving up. <laughs> it was cool. But at the same time, oh, my gosh, I had become this religious tyrant in my household before, you know, it was after sobriety, and then there was some infidelity, and, and I don't blame him, honestly, for not knowing what to do and wanting out of our marriage because I, I had to own some stuff, too. I had become... A, a religious zealot for sure. Cause I thought, you know, if I found the recipe in the Bible to save us from any pain that, uh, you know, that we could do it right and pray every night on our knees and, you know, go to church every Sunday, like clockwork and serve, serve, serve. <laughs> and bad stuff wouldn't happen. But, uh, oh, God was so gentle to come down on me and say, Hey, you know, I'm not church. That's two different things. Church is great, but I want you to be in a relationship with me and I'll help you through this. And, Oh, it was such a relief. So really and truly, the infidelity kind of was the frying pan over my head that helped me see I was neglecting my family to serve a church, and the church is not God. Wow. Does that make sense? It does. There's so many layers to it. Yeah. It was beautiful. I, I never imagined when you and I were talking about a raccoon eating Captain Crunch out of a shoe that within <laughs> mere minutes we'd get to how your relationship with a church affected your relationship with your family. And how something as traumatic as infidelity was also eye-opening and how you spent years putting all the puzzle pieces of that back together. Yeah, I just want people to know it's possible and it's so good. It's so good. And, you know, we only have an hour, so we got to fast forward, you know. Yeah, we got, I mean, we got 18 (laughs) minutes left. Now, there's some people listening, I will say, who might hear, you know, hearing that your experience, I, I won't. I, I'm not a member of Al-Anon. I've never attended meetings, but hearing that your experience with Al-Anon m- maybe shined a spotlight on your faults and that your husband had to go join a men's group of some sort to sort out his feelings. There, there, there might be some people hearing that who feel feel that those are concerning and not a fit for them. In the sense that in 2019, the idea of like he had to go with men to solve it m- might be a red flag for people in this era. Or some people might say... The well, I- he definitely can't be sponsored by another woman. Now, that would possibly lead to an emotional affair, right? Oh, so right. Of course. About. So yeah. specifically in the sphere of men who have experienced some infidelity with other women, they stick to groups with other men so as to not give into any temptation or to find maybe right. other people who are in a similar place, which might and encourage them to link yeah. up. Cause that happens sometimes with groups I hear is that I hear that sometimes you'll join like a narcotics anonymous group. And then if it doesn't work, you've now found other people in a network of drug users. So it's, it's in some sense connected to that idea of you have to be very careful not to oh, link people up. Deal. Yes. Yes. The ones who truly want sobriety, they'll stay around, and the ones who are going to drag you down will end up leaving. So yeah. if you want it, you stick around. It'll work. You'll find the winners in the group. It's easy to tell who the winners are, and you, and you stick to them if you want if you want uh, relief. Um, it's it's not perfect, you know, by any means. The twelve you know twelve uh, step programs they're you know they're made up of, of human beings that are you know flawed. Um, but if you do what is suggested. You know, for instance, step one is, um, uh, for me as well as him, I am powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. And what that meant for me was I'm powerless over my husband's drinking, and I need to, like, pay attention at work instead of obsessing over him. Right? Right. That's the only thing I have power over. Right. And so uh, those were the first concepts that I had to get down that, you know, I mean, um, uh, I I have to have a life of my own. You know, um, um, we, we get so wrapped up in being someone's savior. That it takes our lives away. Right, that it almost creates this kind of crater that everybody's falling into. Exactly. Um, it's described in our book, it's as if the whole family is holding the alcoholic up, you know, over their heads in Russian water, you know, and <laughs> somebody's got to let go, let him, yeah. let him swim. Well, can I just yeah. say too then, you're giving so much credit to the different organizations that helped you, and that's beautiful, and I'm glad those organizations exist to help people, but I also just want to make sure I say on my end that one of the major pieces that that I hope you also take credit for is that 
you clearly have an immense amount of forgiveness in your heart and a dedication to your family that helped you and your husband get to a place where things are are healthier now. And I think that you deserve a lot of that credit too, outside of any group. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I, However, someone had to teach me that that's what I needed. <laughs> I just had to be willing. <laughs> I had to be willing. You know, it didn't come natural, that's for sure. That's for sure. But, um, but, but today, like I said, um, I'm just so blissfully happy and I'm so blown away that y'all had that voicemail still and that you played it. And <laughs> well, I, I don't appreciate that. having Anna Sale held over my head. Anna Sale is an incredible interviewer, podcaster. She's someone I admire greatly. And I don't appreciate being put in a position where you're trying to create some sort of uh, pissing contest between me and Anna Sale from Death, Sex, and Money. She and I are friends. We've gotten lunch together. Well, I'm so, I'm so, I'm glad y'all are friends. That makes me feel better. Um, and I, again, I was using any tactic necessary to get on your show. You were, and I don't want to encourage, I don't want people leaving voicemails going, hey, I might, uh, if you don't want to talk to me, I might have to call up Jad Abumrad, try to get on Radio Lab instead, Gethard. I don't, I don't, I don't want this to turn into a whole thing with a bunch of other podcasts. I might try to find that guy who did that, uh, Richard Simmons show. Dan Tversky, right? Is that Tversky? I might have to get Tversky involved. So good, though. I was so into that one. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, no, but but you are top, man. You are top. Well, I'm perfectly average, and that's why people, that's why this show clicked, because I'm a a perfectly average human being, which actually works for this format. Now, let's, uh, let's talk about New York City. Your daughter wants to move here. Oh, can I also oh, okay. say well, I- before we get into that too? I want to just say your experience. Your your experience clear it clearly explain, explains your dedication to monogamy, and also mm-hmm. why we've done some episodes with people who are proudly swingers or people who are talking about their their the era of their lives where they committed to sexual ex- escapades. And I can see why those were not for you, and maybe you needed to yes. turn those off. That makes sense. Yes. Yes. It, so, so, it, but it's not in judgment in any way. It's just not my experience, and and um, and it scares me for my baby girls. Yeah, and you've been through some stuff. You've been through mm-hmm. some stuff, and that's not your life experience. Mm-hmm. And maybe someone else's. I feel like you maybe don't agree with this, but my perspective, someone else's life experience. Maybe that's what they need to figure things out and sort themselves out. But that's not for you, and I respect that. I knew, I knew you would have the thing that that reframes it for me. I knew you would. You yeah, know? some other. Other people may have been in, you know, relationships where they were severely manipulated and almost, you know, uh, you hear about some people who it's like, oh, yeah, I was married to someone. I realized they were actually kind of holding me hostage. I can see why that person might need to go and just spend a year or two, uh, uh, you know, sowing their wild oats to sort it out. But whatever yeah. makes you healthy, everybody out there listening, whatever makes you land in a place that's healthy and happy and stable where you feel safe and protected and loved in this world. That's the yeah. path you got to walk, and that path is different for all of us. And you know what's helping me actually kind of gain this perspective as well is my daughter's obsession with friends now. Friends. So your next raccoon yeah. will be That's named Phoebe. Your next raccoon will be Phoebe or Ross? <laughs> Very possible. Oh, no, Chandler for sure. Chandler. Oh, you're Chandler Bing. Maybe you can name him Bing. Yeah. What about Bing? Bing. Perfect. Oh, I can't wait for my next one. Yeah, you get him a little uh, T-shirt. <laughs> hey, clean the goop out of his eyes. <laughs> Let him climb a tree and bang it on up. So your daughter wants to move to New York City. This is not a place that matches your morals, I will tell you right away. Uh, I I would agree with that. Um, um, But we loved our visit. I can tell you this, you know, being from the South, you know, we're we're, we're Southerners. We we probably fit the stereotypes. Um, but, But listening to your podcast, literally, is what made me go, where should we go on vacation next? Oh, my gosh. New York sounds so cool. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Yes. So, uh, and I knew that my, knew my youngest daughter would be open to it. My oldest daughter, and of course they're 19 and 15 now, you know what I mean? And this was a couple of years ago, but they, um, my, my oldest daughter was extremely into fashion and things like that. So, you know, I knew she'd be intrigued. Um, but my husband was another story, mm-hmm. but I think he was in such a place following, you know, uh, the recovery work we were doing that he was kind of, you know, I'm willing to let you decide some things and, and, you know, I want to you know make you happy. So I think that's probably the only reason he got on that plane and he was dreading it. Mm-hmm. He, he was fully 
prepared for people to hear his southern draw and give him shit. You know what I mean? Like, he thought he was going to have to be defending himself at every corner. Um, we were not expecting, you know what I mean, a new language on every corner. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a place where everybody's doing their own thing. Nobody's worried about your southern draw. There's uh, every, exactly. everybody. One of, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. One of the most depressing things about New York, but also one of the most amazing and liberating things about New York, is no one gives a shit about you. It's the best <laughs> yeah. and worst thing about New York. You're free to be whoever you want to be. No one's going to really judge you. There's every lifestyle. And like you said, you can walk from one end to, uh, you can walk from one corner to the next corner and hear six different accents or languages being spoken. And it's beautiful. It is. Uh, it is. And it's something we never encounter down here. Oh, uh, so it's, you know, well, I'll take that back. Our next biggest city is, is pretty diverse, but, um, but knowing that my daughter, you know, um, um, looks to that, you know, that excitement, you know, and, and she fell in love with it and she wanted it. But it's because she's creative as well. She knows that's where she will thrive. I mean, she could mm -hmm. literally publish a novel today. She's such an amazing writer. And um, and so I know that that's, and, and of course, a love for Broadway and music and, and so many things um, that she just wants to be creative. So I'm, uh, I, I encourage her to go wherever that has to be. Um, and... Um, I have to I have to tell you one story while we were in New York because I'm not sure if we did the right thing or what we were supposed to do because um, mm -hmm. we we stayed across from Madison Square Garden, and, you know, in a, in a hotel. My husband was a smoker at the time, and we went downstairs early in the morning for him to have a cigarette on the street. Right? Was it the Pen? Was it the Hotel Pennsylvania? Yes, yes, it was. All right, not. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Not the finest accommodations in New York City. Yeah. But it's what we could afford. <laughs> of course, of course. And it's very convenient to transit. And uh, oh, many people yeah. stay there. Many people stay there. We yeah. had no clue. We were perfectly happy. I mean, you know, the bathtub was no. a little sketchy. But it it's was fine. Right. It's a fine place. I'm, I'm not judging. Yeah. I, I was wondering if that, when you said we weren't sure if we did the right thing, I was wondering if the question was, did we do the right <laughs> thing picking the Hotel Pennsylvania? It's a fine no, place. This, a fine place. This gets much better. So we're down there like, it's in the morning, right? And you see this rush of people come out from underneath the ground and they're all walking fast to their jobs. This is on a weekday and they're, you know, and then it gets, and then it gets a little, you know, more sparse. And then, you know, a huge rush of people come off the subway and out under the ground and they're, you know, going their all directions. And all of a sudden, you know, this one man, um, it was an African-American man with like, you know, like he like had like the cool, you know, the dreads, you know, that, you know, obviously takes some, had time and effort to do. He looked really good. He was wearing a nice Nike, you know, athletic suit and some expensive mm -hmm. shoes, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, what I'm getting at is this was not, you know, just, you know, just some person who lived on the street, I don't think, right? Mm -hmm. But he, um, he, he walked directly across the street to us, asked my husband for a cigarette, which my husband gave him. He lit the cigarette and he laid down on the concrete and fell asleep with a lit cigarette in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's not surprising at all. Yeah, no, that's, that wouldn't, I would not, after 15 years of living in New York City, I would not blink twice. He, story. well, okay, there's a few things. One is that he may have been homeless or a street person on some level, but one thing that is eye-opening about um, New York City is, you know, sometimes you'll see like a church or an organization where there'll be people lined up because it's a soup kitchen or it's someplace that gives aid. And a lot of these people are families and, and a lot of people who are working poor, a lot of people who have jobs where housing costs are just so high that that's something that's unattainable even with a job. And, you know, one of the great misconceptions about New York that even New Yorkers have is the idea that all homeless people are crazy or all homeless people are visibly you know, maybe a little ragtag to the naked eye, but in reality, a lot of them are people who are just fighting a fight. And uh, a lot of people in New York straight up are crazy. Yeah. He also may have just been tired. He may have just been like a, a straight up like, yo, I need a cigarette. And he may have just been like a guy who had a long night and was that's still drunk from the night before. Hard, hard, right? Yeah, that's that's what I assumed. Now, but but I left. We left him with a lit cigarette in his hand, which may be burning him within the next few minutes. And I, I, yeah, no, you, uh, we decided to let that wake him up instead of us. Yeah, no, you did the right thing. In New York, there's not one. There's not one person I know who would walk over and be like, "This guy might burn himself. Let me help." No. <laughs> No one okay, in here. Okay. Everyone in the booth who isn't, all the New Yorkers in the booth who heard that just, 
I watched them all visibly guffaw at the idea that you would help someone else in need. That in what? New York City, you would ever help someone else in need. No way. No way. Oh, that can bite you in the ass. I one time was right there, right near where you're staying, but up on 8th Avenue on the other side of, uh, yeah. of Madison Square Garden right there. And there was this guy who fell down face first on the, on the subway grate in the middle of the sidewalk. And I was very young. I was probably 22 years mm-hmm. old, still lived in New Jersey. And I called 911. And after I got off the phone with 911, the man jumped up, pointed in my face and went, ha, 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 and then ran no. away. And then no minutes later, I walked away and 911 called me back. And they were like, did you prank 911? And I'm like, no, oh. I, I think a guy pranked me. So I would prank 911. That's what you get for helping oh, people in New York City. Oh, my God. No, but okay, New York. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to picture that scenario here in the South. And as soon as that man did that and ran away, whoever got pranked would be chasing his butt down and knocking him down. Yeah, no. You know? If, if, if like New- giving, him, giving him the worst <laughs> if, New Yorkers, if New Yorkers had to chase down everyone in this town who has a scam or a scheme, you'd spend, we'd all be marathon runners. There's no way. You got to just let it go and move on. New New York, you I don't. Guess everything works the way it should wherever you are. Yeah, well, wow. New York moves fast. You don't. You don't try to stop. You don't chase down the scammer. You just learn how to get your guard up so they can't even get access to you next time. Within a wow. couple of years of living here, you see it coming a mile away, and you learn how to just brush people off. Which is, again, I think makes you like, you know, there's the good side of New York where that makes you street smart and you have a thick mm-hmm. skin, and then there's the sad part of it, which some sometimes you go other places and realize. Oh, you can have a little bit of a lack of humanity after too many years in the city. Yeah, but wow. if your daughter, if your daughter is young and creative and driven and motivated, this mm-hmm. is a magical town for people in that era mm-hmm. of their life. It's pure magic. I've had so many nights where I stayed out pursuing my creative dreams and linking up with people who have theirs, and we wind up staying up all night, and you feel like you're actually a part of a community, and you feel like things are actually possible. And that, when that feeling hits you, there's nothing like it. To feel like the thing you want to do is actually within reach, that's that's an amazing feeling. And the other thing, too, is, like, it's not just comedians. Like, I think in smaller cities, and I don't judge them, there's a lot of great um, creative cities in, in this country, in this world, but I think for some of the smaller cities, it's like, if you want to do comedy, that means you're going to meet the other comedians. Yeah, but I mean, some of my best friends are filmmakers and musicians and mm-hmm. just the idea that there's this multiple creative communities and we can all support each other and lean on each other. New York yep. is amazing for Leave that. that, for and sure. I think yeah, the only yeah. advice your daughter needs as far as actual game planning is, you know, no, 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 like I'm planning my exit strategy right now. I got a kid and I'm turning yeah. 40. I, I need to head to yeah. the suburbs. I need to head to the <laughs> suburbs. That era right. of my life of staying up late and being inspired is over. I know what I can do uh-huh. now. I got to be realistic yeah. about that. Very as far cool. as the moral side of it, yeah, your daughter, this city, my friend, does not play by your rules. No way. <laughs> well, see, that's another beautiful side effect of all the stuff that our girls experience watching her dad, their dad and I, right, you know, right. um, uh, overcome some things. Is um, it instilled in her a little bit, a little bit. It seems like, well, she delves into some feminism concepts. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, maybe maybe men are, you know, not so not so good, and I can do all this on my own. You know that kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I think she it was a fake. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You know what kind of amazing adult she becomes. But um, but she's got a healthy um, guard up about who she lets, you know, yeah. um, near her body. You know what I mean? And in her heart mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. So far, she's uh, she's you know my other daughter is is the one who believes in the in the the, the love stories, the fantasy, you know, the the fairy tales. Right. Um, and, um, and, and I think if she pursues that, she'll find that too. I don't, I I guess what I'm realizing is for both of my kids and for everybody in the world, you know, if you want it bad enough, whether it comes to relationships, careers, whatever, um, pursue it and, and, and don't lose sight. I mean, I, I wanted, because I mean, obviously our experience changes everything. My parents' divorce was a huge factor in me just dying to make mine work you know what i mean mm-hmm, whatever it's mm-hmm. and um so so i guess what we're saying is you can have what you want well 
on the note you just brought up, I, I was going to say, sometimes you meet, sometimes you meet kids and you find out that their parents had flaws that really messed a kid up. And then sometimes I think the strongest, smartest people you meet are the ones who had parents who messed up where the kid learned. And a lot of that is because the parents salvaged it and managed to make it something that had a positive effect instead of a negative. And it sounds like you have worked your ass off to give that to your daughters. Man, they know everything. And they're, you know, there's just, there's just no shame in our household anymore. No secret. To me, that's the biggest part. No secret. It's a beautiful it's thing. Awesome. Now, we are, yeah. out of, we are out of time. There's a question that's been in my mind for many minutes now. The number of things we got to between the raccoon talk and the talk of your moral code and of New York City, we didn't even have time for me to stop and ask why are you wandering through a cemetery right now? Oh. <laughs> well, um, it had better signal than the park across the street. Whew. Okay. <laughs> you have nothing, nothing morbid here. <laughs> this was an all-time classic. I'm going to go ahead and call it now. It was an all-time classic, and I thank you for the call. I thank you. Thank you so much for taking time with me. I love your show. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so much. What a wonderful conversation. Yes. I cannot thank today's caller enough for the lovely conversation we just had. I will remember it forever. I think I might go to Hobby Lobby and order order that painting for to hang up somewhere in this studio. I think I need to look at it every day as a reminder of the whirlwind of a conversation I just had. Caller, thank you for calling. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Harry Nelson. I am not positive what you do, but you do it really well. I want to thank our intern, Jordan, for all your work sorting out these voicemails and finding that one in particular. Thank you so much. Thank you to Shellshag for the music. ChrisGeth.com is where you can find out where I'm going on the road. Maybe you can come hang out, say hi if I'm in your town doing some stand-up. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Helps a lot when you do. See you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, our caller's dealing with a crazy past and drugs and jail and loss and so much. When you get woken up at 6 a.m. and put in cuffs, give me the bullet points of that day. Yep. Well, one thing I took away from it is the whole process is uh, just one holding cell after another. You know, I'm booked, I'm fingerprinted, uh, uh, DNA swab, mugshot. I still can't find my mugshot online or anything. I really want to see what my mugshot looks like. You do. You, you, you're, uh, you're in, I, many, I would imagine, might go, I, I think I will avoid that picture. But you have a you have a morbid fascination. You want to know what the expression on your face <laughs> That's next time on Beautiful Enough.